Welcome to Unaffordable, a podcast about affordability solutions in Boulder County, brought to you by Boulder Weekly and KGNU. I'm Angela K. Evans. The secret's out. Boulder, Colorado is beautiful, progressive, walkable, safe, and increasingly unaffordable. But Boulder's not alone in its affordability crisis. The need for reliable, affordable housing outweighs supply in many areas of the U.S. Across the country, legislators, nonprofit organizations, city planners, housing advocates, and regular people are searching for answers. Unsurprisingly, discussions about affordable housing can be confusing with numerous programs, funding sources, and strategies involved. The amount of bureaucracy on federal and local levels can be intimidating both for those who need affordable housing and for those in the community concerned about it. But as we've heard over and over in our reporting, there's no one-size-fits-all solution to the affordability crisis. There are many facets that cause unaffordability and even more problems that can arise from it. No one solution is capable of fixing the entire problem. In each episode of Unaffordable, we'll present an interview with someone involved in affordability solutions, from design to homeowners association costs to transportation access and more. This is just one person's opinion on one aspect covered in our written series, which you can find at boulderweekly.com. Subscribe to Unaffordable wherever you get your podcasts so you can listen to each episode. On today's episode of Unaffordable, I'm speaking with Amy Nagy about commercial affordability. She's the development manager for Prosper Portland, the economic development agency for Portland, Oregon. And she spent years in urban planning, first in New York City before coming to Prosper Portland about a decade ago. Part of the agency's role is property redevelopment, including purchasing and leasing buildings throughout the city. About six years ago, Portland began addressing commercial affordability first in its assets and also through partnering with the private sector. Portland has several pilot projects currently underway, which we'll discuss in more detail a bit later. But Amy, thanks for joining us on Unaffordable. Hi, thanks for having me. So I want to start with the issue of commercial affordability in general. You know, rising commercial rents and other costs have been distressing for small local businesses around the country for quite a while. You know, obviously that's gotten worse with the pandemic. Pre-pandemic, national research shows that price increase is caused by a variety of factors, including speculative real estate investments, increasing growth of national chains, a declining supply of small commercial spaces better suited to new local and small businesses. Lack of financing for such businesses as banks and financial institutions tend to offer better interest rates to national brands, you know, and like I said, it could all get worse um, as developers backed by equity firms, investment trusts, and even venture capitalists are buying up distressed commercial real estate in the wake of COVID-19. But Amy, you know, in Portland and in your experience, what's causing commercial affordability issues? Well, I think all of those issues that you have just gone over are absolutely relevant to Portland, right? So in general, we've seen a significant return back to our cities, including Portland. Um, and so the demand for space has been at an all-time high, particularly in times of economic growth, like we were pre-pandemic, there was, there's also constrained access to capital when you're experiencing that. And so if you're a small business, there's more likely of a scenario where you're an owner that does not have a significant amount of resources or access to that. 
Um, so for instance, even getting into a space can be challenging um, if you have a broker that's willing to actually engage with you. Um, if you have cash or access to financing to pay for uh, rent deposits, construction costs, buying inventory, paying employees, covering personal guarantees, the list goes on. So we know that small businesses still rely first on friends and family for initial investments. Of course, your friends and family need to have financial resources to make that investment. And that's not typically the option at scale for business owners, particularly those who identify as Black, Indigenous, Latinx, Asian, people of color. So we've already significantly constrained those who could actually access commercial space. And then for those that are actually already in the space, they can face similar challenges, particularly as the retail environment has changed dramatically uh, in terms of more online shopping options, the need to keep innovating to bring in foot traffic into the stores for people to purchase the products is, is increased. Unfortunately, the margins have also gotten smaller. So that makes businesses in particularly vulnerable as costs increase, for instance, when a landlord raises their rent. Yeah, so is this why Prosper Portland started looking at commercial affordability a few years ago? Or kind of what was the impetus for the city to get involved, you know, kind of at a policy level? Well, because we felt like, you know, cities, including Portland, need to be looking at strategies that we can be putting in place to augment the growth uh, that and ensure that people in their communities are proportionately benefiting from all these other economic benefits. And so we looked at commercial affordability as one of those strategies strategies where we could step in to fill a market gap, albeit a small, a, you know, kind of a, a small sliver of that at the moment, but that removes some of those initial barriers that I was talking about in terms of the high cost of an owner taking down space and giving a small business a real chance to grow their company. So our mission at Prosper is to create economic opportunity. Our vision is that Portland is one of the most globally competitive equitable and healthy cities in the world. And the key point in that vision is really equitable. So as an agency, we made a conscious decision to center racial equity in our work because we've seen how investments can disproportionately impact people in our community, in particular people of color. Mm -hmm. At the same time, Portland has a really strong retail scene where particularly in our downtown, there's this great mix of national retailers like Nordstrom and Muji and Zara. And they're blended with independent retailers like Compound and Wild Thing and Orox. And then our neighborhood commercial districts are these are made up of these mostly independent retailers who have these great product offerings and merchandisings that create a real personalized experience for shoppers. So when people, you know, it's built on a real kind of strong shop local economy that we've been able to create. And then in turn, our tourism industry, they come to Portland for, for its natural beauty, of course, for our food scene, and they come to shop. And so we wanted small businesses to have access to those local and tourism dollars. We have a really strong uh, community of BIPOC small business owners, uh, particularly that specialize in food. So whether they're doing restaurants, uh, they've got a food or a beverage product, um, health and wellness has been really strong as well as home accessories. All of these are great uses for ground floor retail space. So about six years ago is when we were involved in a series of projects 
where we had uh, an opportunity to create some of this new ground floor retail space and lease it to these types of businesses and prioritizing those particularly that haven't traditionally had access to this kind of market. Yeah, and like you mentioned with that equity factor, you know, that's a topic that's often discussed when we talk about affordability issues, you know, like housing and transportation. How does that all play together? How do, how do all these things relate to one another? Well, housing and transportation, as we know, are, are tremendous issues that involve so many factors. I, I think for purposes of this conversation, I'll say that we need people in our cities and our communities to have an opportunity to create wealth. The gap between a white family's median income compared to other racial and cultural communities is tremendous. In some cases, it's 41 times higher. So when people have really limited opportunities for getting a quality job or starting a new business that will enable them to earn a good income and potentially save money, they then become also incredibly vulnerable to economic shifts like increase in, in rents, like having to drive their car for long, long periods of time, long mileage and paying for all the costs associated with that. So they, it really is almost kind of this you know, three-legged stool where you need all of the legs in order for the stool to be sturdy. Right, and so you mentioned several pilot projects that Prosper Portland has undertaken. Um, I know in one project, you master lease a space from a private development firm and then sublease it to small businesses. In another, um, the agency leases from the Bureau of Transportation for ground floor commercial space at a major transportation hub. You also have negotiated the terms of leases based on your affordability priorities with a private developer and subsequently support the tenants with small grants. Um, Prosper Port Portland also owns some commercial condos in a mixed-use development. I mean, the list is a little endless, but I know you also have a lot of other policies and supports that you offer in conjunction with these commercial spaces. Um, can you kind of explain some of those and why they're necessary to really make your program successful? Well, you're right in that we've been really opportunistic in trying out all different types of models of the kind of space that we have control over. So whether it's a master lease with a private uh, developer or a, a public partner, um, maybe it's a building or an asset that we own, um, and then thinking through where, where it makes sense for us to engage and invest in the city. In addition to the location and us having site control. Um, there's also a series of strategies that we actually put in place to kind of create this economic ecosystem, right? Of businesses that can come in in a variety of spaces at a variety of lease rates that allow for them to actually enter the market and grow. And so when we're talking about affordability, we're doing it in a couple of different ways. So there's, you know, just it goes beyond kind of a lower lease rate. So in any of the spaces that, that we control in our leasing, um, we are either designing or demising the space to have a smaller footprint. So it's usually closer to about a thousand square feet. Um, we finish them into what we call a warm shell. So all of that infrastructure is in place. That includes the, the heating, ventilating, and air conditioning systems, the electrical, the plumbing, the flooring, walls. They're already built out and ready to go. And so then when a tenant moves in, they just have an opportunity to kind of finish the space. They, they can paint the walls, uh, add some lighting fixtures or shelving as they may need to. And then we provide them with a tenant improvement allowance in order for them to actually do, do those kind of like final touches on the space. 
And then we also make adjustments to, to lease rates that majority are just around market or below market to begin with. And so what that does, right, is it enables a business to come in, take a look at a space, and then immediately envision how their shop will look when they're ready to open. And then they start to be able to put more energy into the actual business side, which is their specialty, and running the retail space than having to also go through a complicated leasing process combined with managing a small construction process to build out that space. You also um, offer some, you know, technical assistance, marketing assistance, but, you know, kind of business classes, maybe. Can you explain some of those and how those help, you know, especially new businesses? We do. We have a network of providers that we have contracted with um, that are available to support um, a wide variety of businesses. So it's not just limited to retailers, um, but it's called our Inclusive Business Resource Network. And so this is a series of culturally specific, actually, providers that offer assistance around um, anything related to business development that could be accounting assistance, legal advice, uh, marketing, uh, putting together a business plan, also access to kind of small loans if need be. Um, so there's, there's kind of the space considerations and the leasing. And then there's also once somebody is in the space, ensuring that they have the kind of additional supports in order to make sure that they can stay in that space. You're listening to Unaffordable, a podcast collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. I'm Angela K. Evans. Today's guest is Amy Nagy, Development Manager for Prosper Portland, the Economic Development Agency for Portland, Oregon. We're talking about what local jurisdictions can do to help small, new, and minority-owned businesses overcome the barriers of commercial affordability. And I know another major change to Portland city policy is your affordable commercial space bonus program, which city council codified in 2018. And, you know, Boulder tried to do something similar just this last year in 2021, but um, didn't really make it through city council yet. They kind of just tabled the discussion. And I know, so what this does, right, is it offers developers extra floor area ratio or additional height, maybe an extra in exchange for at least some affordable commercial space in their project, or they can also pay an in-lieu fee to help administer and grow the city's commercial affordability program. You know, a model that's often used when building affordable housing. So kind of taking that same model and applying it to commercial spaces. Um, how's the program in Portland been working? Well, the program is, is relatively nascent. Um, I think we've got some more kind of actual program development to do, including marketing and just making sure that developers and property owners are aware that this tool actually exists. Um, we've had one project actually pay into the fund. So as you had talked about, there's a couple of different ways to engage, right? They could actually um, offer the affordable commercial space on site at the project they could pay into a fund, so kind of in, in lieu of fee if they weren't able to accommodate uh, the space within the project um, or a combination of both. So we have one that actually did a full kind of payout into the fund um, and then we'll be using that money to uh, kind of grow the affordable commercial spaces within the cities, help cover our costs, things like that. So we are kind of getting, continuing to get our own house in order, I would say in terms of uh, the spaces that we control now. 
Um, and then we'll be engaging more in the affordable commercial space bonus program in 2022. So it is interesting that the city council actually codified it um, into your zoning code, correct? And why, what is the significance of that? Why is that important to, you know, as the program plays out? Well, it's important because as, you know, when things are codified in your zoning code, um, it, it's an official moment, right? It actually enables those that are within the development community to understand kind of the full suite of services and options that are available for when they're actually developing a project. Um, I will say it's one tool, right? And I think it's an important tool in providing kind of as many options as we can to the private sector in particular to get involved and support small businesses is really important. Overall, I think it's also key to just keep things simple, right? Keep if, if there are code changes, we're keeping them simple and transparent so that everybody understands what the intent is and, and how to actually operationalize it. Um, whether or if one is offering space, what does it mean? What do small businesses really need at this particular time in order to wanna to take the risk of leasing space, whether it's in your downtown core, uh, one of your neighborhood districts, et cetera. So it's not a one size fits all. Um, and so we're continuing to kind of, you know, adjust those tools as we as we see the interest, as we see their effectiveness and, and go from there. Yeah, so, you know, talking again more about all of the different things that Prosper Portland is offering when it comes to commercial affordability, not just the um, commercial space bonus program, what what have you seen be successful so far? You know, these are relatively new, but you have also seen some you know, tangible results, correct? We have, we've seen a lot of interest, particularly in the spaces that we offer. Um, the pandemic has not helped us with leasing, I will say that, but we have still a really strong interest in people that are, that are wanting to be in space. Um, so that is really promising. We also, as you had mentioned earlier, offer a grant program, and that is to building owners or business owners that are wanting to improve a space. And so it's um, up to $50,000 in some areas of the city, it's up to $75,000 with a match. And then they can use that to do their own tenant improvements um, that then reduces some of that cost and some of that barrier that we were talking about when people are wanting to, um, to take down space. And so what have some of the challenges been as well? Well, there's a couple of challenges, of course. Um, I would say particularly for, um, particularly for Portland, we carry a history of not always putting people of color first. We're known for our entrepreneurial spirit, our independence, um, our love of small business, but it hasn't always been a priority on business owners of color. Um, and so that happened anywhere, I mean, in particularly around our areas of economic development. And, and so in doing this work, there's really, we're coming from a pretty significant trust deficit that we need to acknowledge and that we need to build on as we enter into these relationships with business owners. And I think that's been a really big learning in terms of transforming what is typically a very transactional relationship in leasing um, into a human connection first. And meeting and listening to business owners has got to be the priority. And the business terms come after that. I would also say 
particularly coming from a place of government, which has a certain sense of power and control, being really clear with people about what the terms are for the space. How much does it really cost? Not hidden fees, what is the full all in? How long is are they able to lease the space for? And walking them really through the process of from the moment you sign the lease to when you open your doors, here are all the steps, here are all of the costs and considerations that need to be made. And that process has really never been transparent, whether it's been a private or a public transaction. And it can be really confusing, even for people in the industry, and can also get really expensive quite quickly. So taking the time to walk people through, be available for questions, and be having a kind of a maintaining a clear line of communication, I think is, is really important. Beyond that, Adjusting lease rates and terms are based on the project and maybe the location that it sits in. Um, I would say we have not figured everything out. Uh, we're, while we've been going at it for about six years, I still sometimes feel very new to it. Um, there's a lot ahead of us and I'm, I'm particularly just excited that there are other cities looking at these different strategies, right? And thinking about how can they support small business, uh, in particular restaurants and retailers, you know, making sure that our cities are, are super exciting and inviting and individualistic. And then ideally, we're coming together at some point to all share what we're learning and share the experience um, so we can continue to, to move into this space. Yeah, you know what I didn't hear you mention in that list of challenges is resources. You know, when we're talking about affordability in all areas, a lot of it comes down to money and not, you know, who's going to pay for it, not how we can make it cheaper. Um, have you run into financial constraints in trying to implement any of these projects or, or help out some of these small businesses? In terms of the agency, I would say it, we need to be really thoughtful in how we, the level of benefit that we offer while at the same time needing to uh, own and maintain an asset. Those have costs that are typically then balanced out by your tenants. And so making sure that those two things can stay in step and in balance with each other is really important. And that's something that we will continue to adjust and, and need to think about because every project presents its own set of circumstances. And so how we approach that is something that's an ongoing conversation for sure. In terms of uh, financial risks to the tenants, that is kind of to the point that I was talking about earlier and being very transparent about costs with them. It, it, it costs money to um, have a rent deposit or a security deposit. It costs money to get a building permit and build out your space. And so thinking through how do we right size and manage expectations around what the reality of cost is and what we can still do given some of those boundaries. And so those have been ongoing conversations that we continue to have with uh, new and existing tenants as well. Because we are talking about people's livelihoods. We're talking about real money that people are investing in their future. And we don't take that for granted and need to be incredibly careful and cautious with how we partner with people in order to make sure that they can be successful. So going back to what you were saying a minute ago, you know, Portland's programs are relatively new. Um, 
And you're in the same boat of a lot of cities who are just now starting to look at some of these things with the commercial affordability in the last few years. You know, there really doesn't seem to be some sort of gold standard already in place somewhere that everyone can just emulate. So what have you learned that maybe other cities could take and apply locally? I would say we have learned there is actually a tremendous demand for space, and that's really exciting. Um, we have learned that right-sizing space for small retailers is really important so that folks don't get over their head in terms of buying too much inventory and without a place to move it. We have also learned that it takes a lot to run a small business and they, they need a lot of assistance and it benefits everybody. It's an investment versus a subsidy, right? And so it is what draws people to our city is that independent, that, that uniqueness. And so looking at strategies like affordable commercial are ways in which that we can continue to uh, represent and celebrate the culture of our city um, and all of the entrepreneurs in it and the new products and services that people are creating every day. Um, and at the same time, making sure that they feel as though they have a place in the city that they can start and grow their business. And doing that means leaning on them to do what they know best, which is actually growing their business. And for us doing what we can do, and in this instance, we can provide space and some funding that helps support that growth. Well, thanks so much, Amy. I really enjoyed talking to you. You know, this is definitely an important topic around the country and here in Boulder County, especially. Um, so thanks for taking the time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Unaffordable, a podcast collaboration between Boulder Weekly and KGNU. I'm Angela K. Evans. Today's guest was Amy Nagy, Development Manager for Prosper Portland, the Economic Development Agency for Portland, Oregon. You can read the entire written series at boulderweekly.com, but don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.